Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Alt Med podcast. Um, this week it's more like the Ultim podcast, actually. But uh, Ultimed, yeah, Ultimed. Um, got my chats with me, but more importantly, we've got the CEO of Ultim, Ian Alexander, with us. Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, pleasure, guys. Always good to chat to good cannabis people. Uh, that's us. No, um, we, uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we were just uh, chatting a little bit before um, jumping on and you've got a, a really interesting um, background. I mean, yeah, very, very, one of the many diverse um, backgrounds of, of people in this space, but um, yeah, can you talk us through where you started and how you ended up in cannabis? <laughs> Sure. Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> um, hey, we can, look, we can record for hours. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right. Well, look, I, I think um, look, my journey is probably, you know, everyone's got their own unit journey into this industry. It is a new industry, right? But um, look, by way of background, I was involved in natural resources. So mining oil and gas um, was based on the east coast of Australia and then up into Hong Kong for many years where I, I spent time in some weird and exotic countries that, that people probably uh, haven't spent time in. But, um, you know, China, Mongolia, CIS, states all the rest so uh look came back to australia in uh, late 2017 um and that's where i i joined actually little green farmer originally um in january of 2018 so uh been a fantastic journey i've loved it all uh you know like everyone in cannabis ups and downs but um yeah look it's been fascinating but look you know i think you know interest in cannabis wasn't just driven by opportunity i think um you know teenage years and uni and things like that people and, and friends were obviously consuming the product and and I saw it work for different people in different ways. So I always had a natural interest um, in, in the sort of sector, I guess. Um, and then I guess moving back to Australia gave me the opportunity to look at different things. And, um, and here we are today. No, that's fantastic. And I, I know sort of, yeah, from a, a cursory review of your LinkedIn page that, um, yeah, some, some time in some pretty exotic locations, um, you know, resources, deals and the like. Um, yeah, it's obviously a, a new space for you. But what are your, I guess you're someone that, that is, you know, well equipped to comment on Asian markets because we hear a lot about um, Australian LPs that are, you know, really um, telling the story to shareholders that it's not just domestic demand that they're going to be servicing, but there's lots of export opportunities. What's your you know, someone that's been to places like, yeah, Mongolia and all over Central Asia, what, what's your take on um, those opportunities in Asia? And yeah, just keen to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, uh, happy to share them. Um, look, we've done a fair bit in Asia um, uh, and obviously launched uh, Found in, in Hong Kong, which was um, Asia's first CBD retail and, and quasi-education uh, sort of retail space. And that we can talk about some of the brands and things that we've done and why. Um, but look, broadly, I think speaking about Asia, um, you know, the war on drugs has really hit Asia probably the hardest out of any region. Um, there is still a lot of stigma um, in and around cannabis and, and even CBD. Um, I think there's a lot, a lot of education that is required. But, um, you yeah. know, as regulations are unwinding, we are seeing progress. Um, but I think if you look at Asia broadly, um, yeah, Hong Kong, interestingly, was really at the forefront of the Asian industry in, in 15, 16, 17. We had the canopies of the world and, you know, Aurora and all the, all the sort of large Canadian LPs coming through, raising money, you know, financing deals, um, talking to people about what they were doing in the region and then, you know, sort of moving into the region. 
Um, I think, you know, we're starting to see some really um, interesting uh, advances. Uh, Thailand's been in the news the past few weeks. I'm not sure how closely you guys have uh, followed that. Yeah. Um, but Thailand obviously has given away a lot of plants and has uh, decriminalised and is really opening up the market there. So it'll be fascinating just to see what happens. Um, and then, um, you know, I mean, Malaysia's talking about it. You know, unfortunately, China, even though it is the world's largest producer of hemp, has, has really scaled back on CBD access um, for, for customers or patients, um, even though they're available online in, in multiple forums. You know, technically it's illegal. Um, Hong Kong, unfortunately, is moving in that direction. Um, but we are seeing other countries like South Korea um, access through, you know, some of the more pharmaceutical cannabinoids. Um, and Japan um, is stalking STEM regulations at the moment, which has seen a lot of US entrants. But um, I think, again, they're, they're reviewing their regulations as we speak. So, look, a lot of change in Asia, but I just say broadly it's going to take longer uh, just because that stigma is probably a bit heavier on that, that war of drugs. That, that's fascinating. What, what do you put that down to in the sense of, you know, we're, we're now, goodness knows, so 1967, I think it was, that the treaty, um, you know, that started this whole mess came about but um yeah what what is it about that part of the world asia that you think has you know has has led to, to to it becoming you know such a stigmatized thing i mean it sounds like there's you know loosely some cbd opportunities and you know barring thailand thc is uh you know is clearly almost venomous in that part of the world you know what what's what's your take on why the lay of the land is is the way that it is. Oh look, I look. I wasn't alive in the '60s, so again, um, sort of best guess here. But I think a lot of the um, the push down on the drug industry was focused on Thailand and the Golden Triangle and areas like that from from mm. the US and Europe um, being the the source of supply, even up into you know sort of Central Asia, you know Afghanistan, places like this, right? So there was a lot of focus put on those regions, a lot of, you know, education, drugs are bad, just say no, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think it really hit that, that age group. What I find quite fascinating is, um, as you guys probably appreciate, in Asia you do get a lot of multi-generational families living together, so grandma, mum and dad and the kids. Um, it's kind of, you know, what we've seen in Hong Kong, it's funny, you know, grandma refers to cannabis that she used to have as a kid for sleep or whatever it was using traditional Chinese medicines or, or whatever format it was. Mum and dad are saying, no, drugs are bad, just say no. And the kids are like, but everything on Instagram, CBD and, you know, the Kardashians or whoever's promoting it, right? And so yeah. um, it's this really weird sort of uh, stage in the industry. Um, yeah, two generations say yes, one generation in the middle says no. Yeah, and, that's... And they're yeah. the ones making the decisions, unfortunately, right? They're think, the ones with power. Or, yeah. I think from, from memory, though, it has something to do with um, how devastating the, the opium addiction crisis in, across Asia was and just kind of to, kind of lumping it in with, well, we don't want any drugs to do that as a, as a general comment. But um, I'm actually much more interested in finding out a bit more about Kind Medical because that's obviously yeah, the yeah. Australian operation. Um, yeah. and Although, I, can I just say, uh, when yes, you can. Before, just as a, as a tail end, <laughs> I'm just... Before we leave the international space, I do actually just want to ask about, um, yeah, the future. So you said Hong Kong is moving more towards China's, um, I guess, position on on this. So that place you that you started called Found, I think, you know, as a CBD retailer. So is that all still able to to happen, or? 
Yeah, look, I guess, you know, stepping back, maybe before we step forward, um, look, you know, our, our mission is to uh, bring the life-changing benefits of cannabinoids back to the Asia-Pacific, and, and we started that in Hong Kong. Um, and as I said, I think Hong Kong was a really early mover in terms of, you know, CBD specifically, but, but cannabis in, in the region. Um, look, we've got a, a number of brands up there. Um, the, probably some of the more prominent ones is Found, which is our retail locations, um, which was the first retail location in Asia, which we opened in 2020. Um, but really, it was around education. And, and I think it doesn't matter what market you're in. Um, you know, there's a lot of education, be that regulators, customers, you know, third parties, what, what have you. So, um, again, that was really around trying to engage with a number of different parties in a very friendly and warm environment. Um, and obviously, you know, sell some product as well. So, look, found did really well. We, we sort of dissected markets in, in different ways with different brands that we've launched. Um, and so Life CBD, for example, was around, you know, third parties that wanted to incorporate cannabis or, or cannabinoids, and in our case in Hong Kong, CBD, um, you know, in, in a compliant and an effective way. And I think people that weren't industry knowledgeable or knowledgeable um, really struggled with the regs or the testing or, or whatever it was. So we, we launched that brand to enable third, third parties and other brands. And we've done collaborations in beer, a great partner up there in Young Master who launched a beer line called here. Um, again, three or four different beers through that range. We've done cookies and you know drinks and all sorts of stuff. So it's been a really fascinating journey and really fascinating to get some of the feedback from our customers in Hong Kong who walk into our stores and, and talk to us about the, the benefits of CBD. But yeah, look, as you alluded to, the, the Hong Kong regs are probably uh, are, you know, changing pretty, pretty shortly. So look, unfortunately, we'll probably be stepping back from that market in a more active manner. Um, but again, you know, our mission doesn't stop. Um, and we're, yeah, we are in other markets, Taiwan, Japan, um, a little bit. So, you know, again, just how active we are in those markets, I think, you know, currently under discussion, but mm. look, I think, you know, more to the point, you know, we've always had an Asia Pacific focus. So a lot of our efforts lately have been with Kind Medical uh, in the Australian market. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I'm just correlating that with the only time I've ever been offered cannabis in Asia was in Hong Kong. <laughs> I was yeah. out one night in uh, Lang Kwai Fong. You might be familiar oh, yeah. with that little spot. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, just uh, straight deal. I mean, I, you know, after seeing uh, the sorts of things that happen over there, I politely declined. But um, yeah, it definitely seems like there's, uh, you know, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of interest in that part of the world. Well, I mean, Hong Kong's fascinating in itself and we could go deep, but, you know, there are a lot of Hong Kongese living in, in Canada, particularly Vancouver. Um, and so when Canada opened to recreational cannabis, um, I think the border seizures went up tenfold in a month um, because everyone was just sending it back through, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, look, there's, you know, there is a, an affiliation, you know, back into Hong Kong with cannabis culture, particularly driven from Canada. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, regulators are regulators and there's only, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, indeed. All right, Mitch, you can you can jump in now and do that kind. <laughs> I I just wanted to know where um kind medical because obviously Aussies like to know about Aussie stuff. Um, so the Aussie operations, and um yeah, just how that got started, where it came from, where was the idea? Because you were saying you're at LGP initially, and how did that transform? I'm interested in that story. Yeah, look, I mean, step back. Uh, so yeah, look, part of the executive team that brought Australia's first manufactured. Uh, or growing manufactured good into the Australian market, which was a fascinating journey and, and learned so much. If you go back to that, you know, 2018, um, you know, there was a lot of flag planning going on. So, you know, Aurora and Canopy and all these groups were coming into the Australian market and sort of selling a, selling a bottle and saying, okay, we're in Australia and off we go. 
Um, but it wasn't very commercial. And, and as I said, look, my background's more of, you know, investment banking, private equity, finance markets. And to me, that's not a commercial business. I think we're starting to see in markets at the moment that, you know, for a business to succeed and go forward, you, you have to be profitable. You, you can't be not profitable um, in some way to survive. And so we're seeing that presently. Um, but my view back then was that that race wasn't really the one I wanted to play in. Um, and so look, we stepped back from the Australian market and leaned heavily into Asia through Hong Kong and, and some of our activities there, but it's always been a, a focus and, and to be fair, an ambition of ours. Um, and so we took the time to sort of observe the market, see where the trends were going, um, see what patients wanted, um, and, and also just trying to make sure that we could meet those needs in a, a compliant and efficient way. So look, basically, Kind was launched to establish you know, a really critical gap we saw in the market where we could, afford, we could offer affordable pricing with high quality products. Um, you know, and again, I think, you know, our, our supporting mission to that is to make products as accessible and in stock as possible. But look, like, like the other groups, we've had a couple of challenges there in terms of, you know, border regulations that have been unannounced and imposed on us and things like that. So, look, you know, like any industry, we, we are having some, you know, teething issues. But look, on the whole, you know, I think um, the feedback we've had initially on our products, you know, high quality, you know, very affordable, um, has been something that's really resonated with Australian patients, and um, you know, we, we're striving to, to to live up to our part of that that bargain. So, look, I think for the foreseeable future for us, we're we're, we're pretty deep on inhalable formats, um, so be that flour or, or vape products. So again, I think that's a that's a key part of of kind medical. Mm. Yeah, I think that. Well, yeah, I have seen. Uh, without naming names, um, you very heavy in that inhalable market. You, you guys don't consider the the kind of um, tincture or oil market as much, or? Oh, look, I think it's incredibly relevant. Um, I think you know prescribers want oils, which is which is fine. I just think for us, it's not where our strength lies. Our strength lies on flour and inhalable side of the mm. market. So that's where we're going to definitely sit with Kai Medical. You know, never say never in this industry. I've learned that the hard yeah, of way. Um, but, you know, look, maybe maybe in time. Um, but again, you know, I think until we can execute on everything we aspire to for Kind Medical in the first instance, we're probably going to be a little bit hesitant to expand our, our, our reach. And, and we have learned that the hard way with other brands and products that we've launched in other markets is mm. it's very easy to create a product and put it in market. It's very hard to do that in a systematic and, and, and an operationally efficient way. Um, which is what business is about, right? At the end of the day, you know, obviously there's a, there's a profitable part, but there's also an operational and an execution part. Um, and then there's the, the, the ability to actually source and, and go through those processes. So, mm. um, you know, it, cannabis is a complex business. I, you know, I think people you know, that aren't a part of the industry think, oh, it's just weed, right? I like just grow it out the back, put it in a bag and you sell it, right? It really, is, <laughs> it really isn't that easy. You know, you start talking about stability programs and once you get into stability, right, you can't just change your pouch or your packet. You know, there's a, there's a mm. massive process behind that because what we're trying to ensure is high quality, consistent products to patients, right? And the only way you do that is through sophisticated systems, mm. which um, take time to, to evolve and develop. So, Although to the best of my knowledge, uh kind is the only company that is uh, actually putting it in a bag or a satchel as the case might be <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes well, look, there's, a, there's yeah. a really good reason behind that as well mm -hmm. is that you know our, our pouches use about 700 percent less or or a hard container uses 700 percent more plastics than our pouch does and and really yeah. for us that was the deciding factor 
we could have gone towards a hard tub like most medicines are in Australia. We went the, the pouch path because we could find a way to do it that was compliant with EUGMP packaging and all the rest. Mm. But more so, there is a significantly lower environmental um, impact on what we do. And, and we've got to play a part in that. And, and that's what we're striving for. There's no EUGMP um, kind of recyclable paper bags that you could do it in. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm I mean, kidding. Yeah, you really can't. You really can't. I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a medical product, right? Sure. And we have to manufacture to Australian medical standards, which, which we encourage, right? And so I think there's some big changes in reg um, coming in on 1 July next year. You know, we fully support all those changes. We think it will make the industry better and, and products through to patients better. Um, so, yeah, look, we, we try to meet those standards before they come in, right? So as they come in, we're not interrupted. But, um, yeah, we, we've tried to do everything to be GMP standard from the outset. Yeah. And it's – well, we've, we've chatted with uh, previous guests about those uh, changes that are coming in. And I guess, you know – I mean, there was a, a point in time, and I mean, it might still yet continue for another year until they commence in July next year, but there were some really dodgy imports that were coming in. But on the flip side of that, we also saw some, you know, really good imports that were meeting a part of the market that the domestic producers weren't um, weren't getting to. And I sort of look, and if the country that that was coming from didn't have a GMP standard, then effectively that sort of just gets cut off unless, you know, you are sort of going to spend the money sending it an inspector or from the TJ or some other authority to verify that it's, you know, that it's good. So, I mean, I don't know, I'll be, I'll be interested to see, but I do feel like we're going to lose some really good imports next year, but it's, you know, in the name of obviously bringing everyone up to, to the level GMP playing field. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think there's definitely going to be people dropping out. Um, but I, I think it's the right move for the industry. Um, again, there's no global cannabis standard, right? Yeah. It doesn't exist. You know, you look at Canada, US, Europe. I mean, it's, it's all different. Um, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, different. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think um, Australian producers and, and manufacturers have to um, meet EUGNP standards for their products. I think it's fair that other players should too. Um, yeah. it, should be a, it should be a level playing field. But more importantly... It ensures for patients that they're getting a high quality product, which is only good for the industry and the patients. Um, yeah. So, again, I, I don't see any negatives to it. Um, I mean, I, I I think the only negative is that some products might drop out, but I, maybe that's a good thing. Mm, yeah. it's, it's an interesting one. The the EU GMP um, the EU GMP debate. I've completely lost my train of thought. I had a really good point, <laughs> um, but I basically, I can jump in. I, I, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to write it down next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, the other thing that's also um, interested me just with, with your background and your, the work with, um, with LGP before, um, you know, moving to Altam is just, and, and yeah, some listeners are going to get offended by me saying this, but I look at Victoria, Queensland and WA as, I was going to say the, the power states, but maybe I'll just say the busiest states. We've got so many clinics up in Queensland, um, you know, Victoria and WA have got some huge LPs. Um, you know, do you feel like this is a real focus? Because we look, you know, here on the East at everything that's going on over there and it just seems like there's a flurry of activity. We had Brian Walker actually on the, on the podcast okay. a little while back and, um, yeah, we um big fans of, of Brian and his party. But, um, yeah, how do you feel in terms of, 
um, as a as a business owner in this space in WA, do you feel like there's a lot of support for for what you're doing? Look broadly, yes. I think you know people are interested in cannabis and the cannabis industry, and you know, be that doctors or patients or people that find out you know what I kind of do. You know, it makes a, a bar. My, my wife hates going to an event because I just stand in the corner and talk about cannabis all night. But look, I think um, there is a genuine level of interest in cannabis in Australia. There's a huge black market in Australia. You know, people are just interested. So look, I think um, that's probably the same across Australia. I think the reason why WA has probably, you know, got a bit more going on in cannabis than some of those other states is that, you know, if you look at WA as a whole, it's pretty entrepreneurial. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of health tech. There's a lot of, you know, mining, oil and gas, all that sort of stuff. So it's sort of a community that support, supports, you know, fast growth companies and, and emerging opportunities. So that's probably where the WA side has come from. Um, I think if you're talking about cultivation, it's it's very different, right? Um, I mean, WA is quite a good climate for growing, um, or particularly, you know, Perth region, probably not so much up north, um, for the same reasons that, you know, Queensland has challenges because all the humidity and whatnot, right? Um, mm. So, look, I think... I think the Australian market at the moment is fascinating. It really is. And, and you know, we'll, we, can have, we can do this chat in 20 years and see, see if any of this is right. But, you know, I, I do think there's, a, there's some massive challenges for cultivators in Australia at the moment because, you know, look at the power crisis on the East Coast at the moment, right? Um, yeah, yeah, you guys are yeah. laughing all the way. To, you know, it's uh, yeah, all made it's uh, Alan Carpenter. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But try hiring someone in Perth at the moment, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Incredibly challenging, right? And and I think, you know, again, you, if you talk about cultivation, I think that that labour issue is a massive issue in Australia. So anyone cultivating is going to have huge churn and turnover in their staff. Um, power costs, you know, you know, knowledge in the sector. Um, we don't, Australia doesn't really come from a protected cropping background. We're, you know, open, open field growing because we're such a lucky country in that regard agriculturally. So... We don't have that expertise, so then you've got to bring people in and yada, yada. Yeah. So, look, I, I think the cultivation piece is, you know, let's watch it and see how it evolves and we wish everyone well. But um, I think it is going to become a global industry just because other regions will be able to do it better or more efe efficiently in the future um, just due to infrastructure or cost basis. So, look, jury's out a little bit on that. But, yeah, look, it's good being here. You know, we, we've had a few WA local sort of industry catch-ups and Brian Walker and, you know, a few of the uh, different companies that are based in Perth have, have attended. It's been really good just being out of chat over the past few years while WA's been locked away. But, um, yeah, look, it is, it is a nice little community over here. And I like to think on the whole, you know, everyone's pretty supportive of each other. You know, we're, we're competitors, mm. but it's, it's friendly competition. Um, yeah. you know, just trying to be kind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like that. I like it. We we've had a few of the uh, the Western Australianites on on the show with Maddie Moore and um, and Stephen Chalk and um, Joe Kosterich and, and a few others. So it's um, yeah, we, we there's a good little representation from out there to be on. Um, I remember my question from before on the oh, GMP. <laughs> Congratulations, Mitch. Really, thank well you. I, I was I was yeah. sitting there thinking for a while. Um, Basically, what I want to know is, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around recreational and we're starting to see it on, you know, the compass pole for ABC, this kind of thing, um, becoming more and more of a, a topical issue. So my question, and you might have some insights on this, considering everything EUGMP in your backyard, um, what happens to the standards if we go recreational? Does that mean that people, do you think, I mean, it's speculative, obviously, what I'm asking you, but do you think that EUGMP quality standard will be dropped or do you think people will be able to produce, say, THC to food grade standard kind of thing or like a tobacco industry standard, let's say? 
Um, I'm very curious to see what people think about this because we, we, we ponder it quite a bit. Yeah, look, it's not something I've given a whole heap of thought to. Um, look, my, my general view on recreational cannabis in Australia is it's probably further away than people expect. Um, my expectation is that there'll be a gradual descent from medical, you know, ease gets easier, you know, you know pharmacies start doing over the counter, you know, it's, it's that gradual ease into it. And I'd, to pick a number, I'd say we're five years away, right, um, at least. Um, and, and I think the only thing that could maybe accelerate that is politics and who's got votes in what, what parliament. Actually, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt the fly. I've got to ask you, we see politicians at federal elections when they're at the pub having a beer or having the democracy sausage. <laughs> Do you reckon we've made it when on the campaign trail we see, you know, the incumbent or the, uh, the candidate up and coming actually just having a spliff with some constituents and with, <laughs> like, do you reckon that's when we just know right this is mainstream and it's not cool anymore because the pollies are doing it i think we're a fair way off that <laughs> <laughs> what a shame yeah, well, I, like, I felt like that would that actually is starting to happen a little bit like we saw it in america i think it was like conan o'brien rolled yeah. up a spliff on on, right. on you know national television and i mean just that in itself is is quite a substantial monumental moment. Yeah. I, I think you know that's that's normalising it culturally. An elbow needs a mighty medic, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <anyway. laughs> yeah. Let me let me see if I can uh, yeah engage elbow. Look, I, I don't know. Look, I think um, you're right. I think that moment in the US was quite a, a watershed moment because it was the first time someone literally engaged that actively in, in the cannabis sort of conversation. I mean, look, the US market is really complicated, right? And there's a big um, sort of roadblock there at the moment around the Safe Banking Act. I'm not sure how across it you guys are, but basically that opens financial institutions to the cannabis industry in the, in the US, which is federally illegal. Um, so very complex, but that will unlock all the, the, the blockages in that, that financing, so debt, equities, you know, bank participation. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, look, we can go into that, Steve. Um, but look, I think in, in terms of Australia, I think, um, you know, I mean, look at the reaction when Elon Musk uh, lit up a joint with, was it Seth Rogen on his podcast? You know, people were like, yeah. oh, what's he doing? I mean, end of the day, it's just cannabis. Um, no. But that, that just goes to show sort of the stigma that's still associated with cannabis, unfortunately. And it's just going to take time to change. Um, yeah. But, you know, you guys probably feel it as well when you say to someone you're in the cannabis industry, they usually yeah. go, oh, yeah, well, by the way, grandma's been cooking me cookies or, you know, mm. like there's all these stories that sort of come out that people sort of open up to you because they feel like you're, you're a safe person to have these conversations with. So, um, yeah. That's actually think- a very good insight. Yeah, that happens yeah. all the time. It, it does. And I feel like people particularly, you know, of that boomer age group will just kind of like quietly tell you about, a, you know, a joint that they had back at uni. And then yeah. I report them to the police because I only play in the medical. <laughs> no, um- <laughs> take a photo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fingerprints. Yeah, everything. Uh, dumb. Uh, where were we? Um, <laughs> Gra- grandma <laughs> cooking up cookies. Grandma. Uh, we, yeah, no, we're talking Rex. So basically, you're saying at least five years off. I mean, I've sort of, so. you know, kind of uh, just contemplated what, yeah, what happens to clinics, what happens to all that. Obviously, there will always still be demand for it. But you would think by that point in time, a lot of the major conditions for which people at the moment are being prescribed medical cannabis, you know, sleep disorder, pain, anxiety, a lot of people will be just treating that through over-the-counter CBD use. So I've sort of got this idea in in my mind, at least that, you know, you go and only really see a doctor if you've got something a little bit more complex. Um, Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? 
Look, I think the medical fraternity, be that clinics, prescribers, whomever, I think has got a massive role to play in cannabis in Australia in the future, right? I think there's absolute people with a lot of different complex issues that need to talk to someone that's educated and knows interactions and different things and then just what cannabis can solve, right? Because these things aren't, you know, cannabis is no magical pill. You can't just take cannabis and it solves all your ills. So um, look, I think medical has to be involved going forward. And if you look at Canada, again, I think our, the best insight into our markets is looking at other markets and what's happened. And in Canada, there's still a, a large medical cannabis piece because it's, it's required medically. Um, I think going forward, will it be food grade? Will it be EUGMP? Who knows? I mean, to me, it makes sense to keep it EUGMP. I think it's good to have that quality and that standard to medicines or, or products because people need to be sure as to what they're taking. I think that's the biggest benefit to having an open and accessible market is that People can look at product and know what they're consuming. I mean, you know, I look back to my teenage or, or uni years whenever I consume cannabis with friends. I mean, that could have literally been anything, right? We've got yeah. no idea what's in any of those products. Um, there's a huge level of comfort by getting a C of A with your product if you want to see what's actually in it. Um, mm. I've so, got a question on that, though. If, if we're, given we're moving to this um, this space from, from 1 July next year, what are your thoughts on third world countries that open up EU GMP facilities, you know, like for example, we see something like, you know, Bangladesh opens EU GMP facility for Aurora as a headline in six months or something, just to basically meet the Australian requirements, but obviously be capable of undercutting everyone on price. As someone with uh, experience throughout different markets around the world, do you expect to see that type of activity happening? Look, uh, look, I'm not a regulatory guy, right? So you probably are someone <laughs> better qualified than me. But look, I, I think I think there's issues with those countries actually obtaining real EU GMP. Um, and again, you know, experience a piece of paper is easily forged or changed or whatever, right? So you got to dig behind it. Um, at the end of the day, if you're a product company, you need to have confidence that your inputs are actually what you say they are, because if they're not, you've got some pretty big problems. Mm. Um, you know, let alone the effects they could have on patients. So, look, I, I think also cannabis consumers do care about providence. I think they do care where their products come from because they are medical. Um, I don't think you can, you know, I mean, a molecule is a molecule, right? CBD molecule is a CBD molecule grown in any country. However, I think, you know, when you are paying for products for specific purposes, you know, you do want a level of comfort as to where they've come from. To counter my argument, when was the last time we looked to see where our vitamin C came from that we put in our kids or whatever, right? So I really don't know, um, but I do think Providence plays a, an important role um, in this. Um, and I think patients wouldn't be happy if they felt that it was being misrepresented. Um, but also I question some of these jurisdictions' ability to actually do a good job, right? They, if, if they haven't come from cannabis background with genetics, I mean, look, BC, Bud, Pink, Kush, you know, it's, it's iconic. Um, in, in that part of the world, right? Like, you know, you can't go to Bangladesh and have a BC bud experience. It just doesn't exist. Um, so, look, I think there's going to be a lot of land race, a lot of really interesting genetics, a lot of really interesting opportunities. Uh, but I do think people want quality products, and I'm not sure that that will be attainable in the short to medium term from some of those regions. Speaking, speaking of which, um, what are your, the trends you're seeing in Australia at the moment? You know, you guys being across... 
a broad range of inhalables, let's say. Um, yep. Where do you see it going? What are the preferences? You know, what are the patients wanting and um, what might, where might it be in the next six months to a year? Yeah, look, deep question. I'm, I'll, I'll try my best. Look, we, we, do focus, we do focus on inhalables, you know, predominantly for Lara at the moment. Uh, we haven't launched vapes yet, but, but stay tuned. Um, and so, look, we've got seven strains in market, and I, and I find it really interesting to see what's moving, what's not, but also some of the feedback from our patients, right? That's, that's the gold. That's the, that's the diamonds we're after is any sort of feedback. Um, because, you know, at the ultim ultimately we're here to, to look after them and, and whatever we can do to assist that, we're, we're all ears. I think in Australia we are seeing a massive uh, demand for flour. Um, and, again, how much of that is pseudo-recreational, how much of that is doctors engaging in harm minimisation for, for patients that are getting black market products, I don't know. I just have to guess at that. But I do think that there is a, a rapidly growing demand for inhalables broadly against the other categories. Um, and again, if you look at international markets, most international markets sort of sit at 50% flour, sort of, you know, 15% pre-rolls, sort of 15% vapes, that's 75, 80% of your total market share. You then get, you know, 10% tinctures, you know, 5% gummies, and then 5% everything else, right? So we're, we're probably trending towards the average in terms of flour consumption and inhalables at the moment in Australia, um, given that the Australian market started very much on tinctures. I mean, that was pretty much all that was prescribed early. Um, which was safe for doctors and it makes a lot of sense, right? Um, but yeah, look, I think um, there's definitely a lot more knowledge in doctors and prescribers around cannabis. It's not just THC and CBD and balanced ratios and things like that now. It's actually going into, okay, what's your terpene profiles? How does that interact with this terpene? You know, how come you can blend two indicas and get a completely different profile? I mean, how does that work in terms of patient outcomes and effects? So I think as we, uh, as an industry, get better at our testing, quality, consistency, you know, formulations where you're formulating, um, I think uh, the education and the knowledge of everyone in the industry is gaining rapidly. Um, so, look, I think the trend is certainly towards flour um, at the moment, um, and I think that's probably mimicked by what you're seeing online in any of the forums and things like that that do exist at Facebook and Reddit and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think that part of the community is pretty small representation of the overall community, um, mm, is my mm. view. Um, what, uh, out of interest on, um, you know, as a director of, of KIND, and I'm sure you'd be interested in, um, you know, just getting a loose sense of, of how products are being received. Uh, are you hearing, you know, some really good feedback from the field? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean... At the end of the day, we can't keep everyone happy. We, we try to, but we can't. Um, Be kind look, to everyone. On the whole... <laughs> Sorry, just wanted to drop think... it in here. Um... <laughs> That's all right. Um, look, I think on the whole, I think people love our quality at our price point. Um, it's compelling. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's what doctors are leaning into. I think when you look at who we compete against, they're generally about 30 to $50 to $80 more per pouch or packet than we are. Yeah. Um, so patients are getting a lot more um, bang for their dollar, uh, which when you think about it medically, you know, medical patients typically don't have large amounts of disposable income just to splosh around on, on cannabis. So, again, yeah. that's part of us trying to do our thing in the market and be as, as price conscious as we can be. Mm. Um, so, look, that's definitely been a feedback is that people love our quality at our price point, um, undoubtedly. But we've got a great range of products. Um, and, again, in the flower range, um, you know, I won't, I won't go into brand too much or anything with you guys, uh, but 
you know, I think our, 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 my favourite flower and the one that seems to have landed really well is our balanced flower, Libra, which is a 6-6 between CBD and THC. And it's just such an approachable strain. Um, CBD balances out the THC. I think doctors feel really safe prescribing it to patients because it's a really good starting point um, because they know you're not going to get too much, too rushy from the THC. The CBD balances it out and you get a really nice medicated effect. Um, at the same point, we've had some fantastic feedback lately on our CBD flower, uh, which is a 16% CBD um, wow. sold, um, which is, again, I think, you know, those strains probably aren't ever going to be our highest selling strains, but they're going to be very effective strains for what they do. Um, and again, I think we've got a couple of other strains in our portfolio, you know, Stella, Iris, Azura, et cetera, which are very good for what their intended uses are mm -hmm. in a medical setting. So I've heard um, about Stella. Yeah. 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 So what's the, um, no, that I agree. Like in terms of just giving doctors effectively, you know, a multitude of options to start someone on a Libra, say, if they make that clinical decision, um, you know, then, you know, like it's a, it's a, a good introductory dose, I imagine. But what, what about for a patient who, for example, um, you know, has, has been prescribed, flower um, for quite some time is tolerant of higher amounts of THC. What, what sort of levels do, of THC do, do your products sort of go up to? I think we can talk about that. Yeah, I think we can. Look, I won't name it. I'll, I'll keep it pretty generic. But look, I think look, we, we, we like flower because it gives you that whole flower, full spectrum um, impact as a patient, right, which we, which we love. I think if you look at the, again, I draw parallels between different markets. So I kind of feel like at the moment, and maybe it's just passed, but I kind of feel like the Australian market was all rushing for the highest THC you could get, right? Mm. 28, 30, whatever the, you know, let's go get that, right? But I actually think if you then look at somewhere like Canada, which obviously has a lot longer cannabis uh, history, if you talk to some of the players there, their favourite strains aren't 28, 30% strains, it's 15 or 16 or 12s. Um, and it's about the, the, the a lower THC can actually have a better effect than a higher THC, depending on its terpene yep. profiles and some of the other elements to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think believers in that. Yeah. And, and I think that that story hasn't quite got through to patients yet. Is that you, you're not chasing just high THC. I mean, sure, there's there's you know pain and some of those indications that you absolutely need a high THC for, but the, the average patient doesn't need a high THC. They need a medicated outcome, which is typically driven by your interaction with CBD, THC, terpenes, flavonoids, all that fun stuff. So look, our highest strain at the moment is 24%. You know, we, we probably will bring in some, some stronger strains in time, um, but where we sit our portfolio, we're, we're really happy. Um, you know, I think we've got something for everyone. Um, I think some of our higher THC strains are selling you know, really well. We're getting great feedback on them. But at the same point, I think that the people that we engage in that have those interactions with flour, either for the first time or first time in a medicated outcome, which is successful, it's not our high THC strains. It's the, the Stella that you mentioned or the Libra product, some of those balanced lower THC strains, which have a really good effect. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Subscribe to that as well. And I think um, it is interesting, the, the CBD flour, uh, market I, i've always found a, a very interesting market because you know people are so used to having you know I, traditionally let's say a, a joint if you will um and when you having cbd you're not really experiencing any of that um so it's, it's a very strange phenomenon for a lot of people i think they don't fully get it unless you actually have an ailment 
um, as we see kind of this mixing of, of medical and recreational markets, though we might not like to admit it all the time, it's, there's definitely a, an element, of, I think, of that out there. So the CBD flower yeah, one's right. an interesting, I feel like it does cater specifically to the, to the medical market only and, and a lot of the CBD products. And we hear all sorts of things. I know patients are blending CBD with with higher THC strains, so they might put in their yeah. their maple, their joint, you know, like CBD as a as a main part and a little bit of something else, right? Um, just mm. to to assist with you know multiple uh, medical outcomes. But look, I. I agree. I, I really appreciate some of the higher CBD products. Um, you know, recent trip to Canada got to experience a, our full full portfolio and some. So, um, look, I think some of the some of the products that are also coming through are really medically, of course. Uh, not in Canada, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but um, look, I think you know. I think again, it's 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 an evolving space, and it and it leans into the education piece. We need to educate doctors and patients and prescribers about different products and effects and efficacy and all sorts of stuff. So we'll, we'll just keep, you know, I think, you know, for us educating, trying to grow the pie for everyone, because I think it's, um, it's a great industry and, and, and the more educated we can, you know, help people, the, the better the outcomes for everyone. Absolutely. And I guess even just thinking about, you know, 10 years ago, no one in Australia would have been talking about CBD. So imagine where we're going to be in, you know, 10 years from now. I say no one. I, I know there were pockets around the yeah. place. I was. But, um, <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's been great chatting with you, Ian. Um, you know, you're a busy man and, uh, yeah, just grateful for you for dropping in, giving us insights on opportunities and your experiences in, uh, in Asia Pacific. It's definitely a, a space I'm watching with a lot of interest because I think Europe and, and Canada are following more predictable trajectories. But, yeah, that announcement from Thailand the other day just... Like when right. Australia went legal, I don't remember the uh, the TGA sending out a million plants to, uh, to Australian patients. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, no. So we'll yeah we'll keep in touch and you know just really um, appreciate the good work around education and, and great products that um, that you're doing through Ultimate Kind. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be uh, speaking again soon. All righty, excellent. Sounds great, guys. Always good to chat. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll speak soon. Cheers.